Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tinkser. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind to both employees and customers love and support. Thanks to BizSimply for sponsoring this episode as our show partner. And BizSimply is the all-in-one HR, workforce management, road and operations software designed and built by hospitality experts to make every shift run like clockwork. And we join forces to help the industry to find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together, we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. That's my big question at the moment. What cool part of new, amazing hospitality businesses are going to come off the back of people having more choice and going out less but being more choosy on where they're going. And it isn't going to come down to going and splashing out loads of money on expensive wines and sushi. It's going to be more about the experience they want to have with their friends and their family. This is Daniel Hume, founder and CEO at One Air Dining and One Fine Dine. One Air Dining is unique culinary concierge service that delivers food to the private jet market and its sister brand, One Fine Dine, is sending amazing gourmet food and experiences directly into your home. And they have with their model revolutionized the catering service when it comes to the airline industry. And for the third year in a row, they're the most recommended caterer in Europe. They have developed, as you will hear, a unique system of cooking, packaging and delivering high-end food on board an aircraft but also at your home now and therefore it's actually possible to serve amazing gourmet food without being a Michelin chef. In this conversation we will take a deep dive into how you build a successful business and how you pivot during the pandemic. Daniel shares due to their normal way of operating in the uh, private jet market they were already pretty agile and that actually helped them a lot as the pandemic hit them. We also talk about life and leadership lessons in 2020, how to take care of your people in connection with the staffing crisis, the role of hospitality in the post-pandemic world and much, much more. But before you tune in, please sign up for our weekly newsletter packed with Maverick Insights, strategies and tools. Find the link in the show notes or visit www hospitalitymavericks.com but now please grab coffee pen notebook and let's take off i'm extremely excited about today's conversation because uh, we're going to be talking about we uh, we need to play a different game in the new world we're in whatever we call it post pandemic or whatever we call it we're also going to be uh, talking about how you need to change mindset to actually navigate and survive in the, in the new business environment. And we're also going to talk about how do we actually make a high quality uh, luxury food on a plane, in a jet actually. And then we're going to talk about how do we actually take that food as well and get it through your letterbox at home. And for that, I have a super great guest that I've been talking with a couple of times before these conversations. And we, we've gone in all kinds of directions, both in a business lesson and life lessons. So I'm a, very excited to welcome you to the show, Daniel. Hi, how you doing? I'm, I'm very pleased to be here. And uh, I've been really looking forward, Daniel, because we have so many shared touch points. And one of them is uh, Tony Robbins is, is one of them and, uh, and, and many others. And we will, we will definitely touch on them today. But just for, for people out there, so they understand yeah, a bit about who you are and what kind of multiple businesses you run, but, and actually in a context of uh, hospitality, because it's a, it's a bit a different business than the normal restaurant on the high street. Yeah, I mean, we, um, so over 10 years, we've been, I've built a business that supplies, I mean, arguably the, one of the market leading products for private aviation. So any business or private jet that leaves the UK, um, we supply food to that and the systems that I've designed and how food goes on board those aircraft is, is, is unique. No one else does it quite the way we do it. Um, um, and I brought a lot of that understanding and science from my, I suppose my 
various hospitality background of working in yachts and high-end events and um, top restaurants and I brought it all together and created this system that allows a flight attendant on a private jet to recreate a meal to the same level as our as our chefs if it, you know if, if they were doing it and uh, you are operating out from uh, the UK is that correct yeah based in London so we have I have two sites I have one in Stansted and one in Farnborough um, big size facilities uh, this my Farnborough one is around 7,000 square feet we're just refitting our brand new one in Stansted um, Farnborough is the I suppose Farnborough is the, the high-end private jet airport for the UK. Um, and Stansted is what I call our heavy metal market. It's the big planes, um, big wide bodies. I've now got four 18-ton high-loader trucks that can unload and load catering onto everything from heads of state and royalty to sports teams. Um, and that's Stansted. So they're, they're, they're two very different airports there are other you know really important airports around london as well luton biggin hill um city north holt uh, very few private jets go into heathrow or gatwick we very very rarely go to those they usually clients come into the, the the surrounding airports if you like they like to come in land and get away from the aircraft as quickly as possible and into wherever they're going so that's super interesting. So actually, you don't only serve food in the airport you're located, you actually go to airports as well and get meals ready to put on board on a plane. So and, and we, the, we only supply food to the aircraft and all the food is supplied cold. It's never hot um, and it's packaged and sent to an aircraft it's very different from airline airline is it's all you know as you've probably seen it goes on trays and it comes in on big trolleys and it's loaded in and loaded out in the private jet world a client can have whatever they want um it's we are and i, and I you know i say this to my staff and i say this to the customers out there we're a culinary concierge service we're not a caterer you know we're, we run 24 hours a day seven days a week we never close i've got a fantastic team of chefs, customer service, operational staff that operate on a 24-hour basis. We never, ever close. So a customer, we and we very rarely get more than 24 hours notice. Usually it's between about 12 hours to 24, but we can also do it in a lot less. We can you know, turn around 1,000, 2,000 pounds worth of food in maybe three, four, five hours. But that's because of the systems that we've created within the business. It's a very, it's a very unique operating model if you like um it takes elements of the, the the private yacht and private household chef world it takes elements out of the high-end hospitality world where you you it's a cook chill reheat and serve process and we also take elements from the high-end fine dining um kitchen world and we brought those all in together and that's the product that then goes onto a private jet um, we do. We have a cafe, so at Farnborough Airport. Um, but really and truly, it's about the private jets. And then, of course, um, 16 months ago, 18 months ago, we launched a home version of our private jet product, which has been on the cards for a number of years. But COVID gave me a proverbial kick in the backside to just to just go for it. And it, it, it's been a lot of fun. And then it was bootstrapped and it was just throw it out the door and let's see what happens. And it was, it's, it was challenging and fun at the same time. That is, um, that's called One Fine Dine. So my private jet company is called On Air Dining. My, private, my home dining business is called One Fine Dine. And One Fine Dine has, has exploded. It was, it was absolutely fantastic. It slowed a little now where people are going back to restaurants, but there's a steady stream. And We've got some amazing regular customers, and basically, it's like this private jet product that then gets delivered to a house, and people can recreate the food to the same level as our chefs. There's no cooking skill required. You don't need to be able to cook to use one fine dine. You, you basically you heat it up, and you serve it. It's a, I think they're calling it now a a heat and serve product. Um, Unlike a lot of these high-end box kits that are out there that are fabulous, we've tried some amazing ones, you still need a pretty good level of competence in the kitchen, whereas our product, you can burn beans on toast and you can still deliver an amazing meal. And we, we, 
Um, we've been in GQ magazine. We, we've been voted best high-end fine dining box kit by Wired Recommended, Wired Magazine for the last two years. We've been on all the press. And I think that's definitely a business and a product that's here to stay. Um, a lot of the, the, it, the market got very saturated probably about six months ago where every restaurant was trying to diversify what they do to keep their heads above water and to rightly too. Now that the world has come back and restaurants are reopening, a massive chunk of those chefs and kitchens have gone back to focusing on their core business, which is restaurants, which has meant businesses started to pick up even more. Um, so, yes, we've, I've got these two arms and they all work from the same facility under the same systems that were designed for private jets where you know this ability to be able to there are very very few kitchens anywhere that can um, handle the volume of catering that we do at the level we do but in the speed that we can do it um, we can get we can get a phone call for vast amounts of catering at multiple airports for multiple airplanes with 12 hours notice and it's the back-end systems and the operations that i've designed over the years of how to handle that kind of all managed chaos if you like that enabled us to then move that into a home dining um, product but also scale far quicker than anybody else because at the end of the day we I, I i have laughed i do laugh a little bit about this whole dark kitchen cloud kitchen concept it's great it's, it's great right but it, it's just it's just new marketing there are there are numerous companies who've been running those models for a con some time we just call it cpu <laughs> um but because of that i was able to hit the market running and a good example was valentine's day a lot of the top box kits had you know certain limits or the number that they could do for valentine's day we 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 could do three four five times that volume quite easily over the period of days. So, but that's because of 10 years of experience of dealing with the crazy world of private jets. You know? It's super interesting. One of the things I was uh, writing down as you were talking about, so I guess what you're saying, and I'm, maybe I'm wrong here, is that there's not like a bespoke menu they pick from. They, they order the food they want. So we have a pretty extensive menu. <clears throat> um, I've got fine dining, brasserie, I've got an Arabic, I've got Asian, I've got platters menus um however 50 percent of the clients will order from that menu and 50 percent of them will order whatever they want um there is also that we will also do flowers international newspapers we have a concierge service that will go into any shop or restaurant in, in london and get food for you um we 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 quite we're quite rigid with which restaurants we will go to mind you, because the restaurant needs to understand the cook chill process. If they are purely a cook serve and they don't have the blast chilling capabilities, we we can't work with them because it has to be blast chilled the second it leaves that restaurant to be food safe and then eaten five, six hours sometimes later. Yeah. That, that's super interesting because again, that again, throwing in a lot of the complexity that if we will, will we we agree not to take a deep dive into the pandemic, but your agility in your day-to-day -day life, even pre-pandemic, how how did that actually did that come to an advantage as you hit the pandemic? Oh yes, definitely. I mean, we were. I suppose it more came into an advantage with regards to the one fine dime product, because when we started rolling it out, it was picked up by all the press and you know fantastic press we got the orders just rocketed we were able to cope with it i mean we can i can i can get a phone call from stansted airport to serve to have meals for 150 passengers super vip um and have a vip area and they might want a private chef on board and we can turn that around in less than 24 hours so for us to get a phone call for 150 meals dispatched across london it didn't really it didn't really push us that far because we were already doing it so from that perspective it was it was really good i mean the other challenge is the biggest challenge we had was using uh, i won't name any names but um various different delivery companies when we tried to roll it out uk wide some of the boxes turned like they looked like they'd been kicked from london to manchester but <laughs> so we had a few challenges on that side but actually handling the scalability 
it was it we've been doing it for 10 years we were getting my chefs actually really like doing it because they are getting four five six days two weeks a month's notice when we're used to one two three four six twelve hours so it gave them a bit of oh this is nice we can we can actually pre-plan you mean nobody's going to phone us at midnight and ask for a thousand pounds worth of food in six hours time so. <laughs> well, another thing I was thinking, Daniel, uh, when you're delivering, you know, to uh, uh, top clients, uh, they want they want their specific touch on it on a plane to suddenly go into the at home eating market. Did your market expand as a business as well? Because I know you set up a different business for this. I guess suddenly you had many more customers than you normally would have in a situation where you're just preserving planes. Yeah, we had a we had a it, it, much bigger, I suppose, demographic for for you to Mike Mike in, in the private jet world, my client base, my particular type of client base, you 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 need to be a in a particular wealth bracket, um, and whereas with the home dining product, you most people who will go out to a nice restaurant in London, a decent restaurant in London can afford to use our private jet home dining product for the same price as going out to a nice restaurant. Um, and it meant our our market was hugely widened, um, which was fantastic. And it's interesting is we, we ex, we've had, it is a special occasion product. It's, a, it's, 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 as the box kits went, it was on the high end, you know, the much higher price. However, um, with the regular customers that we were seeing we're getting lots of people i think i know we're again we're not touching on covid i think there's a positive i think one of the beautiful positives that's going to come out of covid is i think we as society have learned how to sit with family and break bread again i think i think we as we as society we got you know smartphones and the speed we were all using and it, it was almost as if covid was this handbrake that just went on and slammed the brakes onto everything and and i suppose you know life everything was open seven days a week everything's operating 24 hours and we were forgetting or we'd lost this sunday dinner with the family we'd lost this once a month having all the family around and breaking bread together i know some people carried that on but in general and i think as as society has now learned to do that again, and I talk to a lot of people that have been saying to me is, we we won't st- we were all locked in a house together. We won't stop now, making sure that we all sit down as a family and break bread and enjoy those things. So I think this is where our one fine dime product is now going to continue. Is we've got a lot of customers now. I delivered to a, one of our biggest customers recently because I wanted to get her feedback and chat to her, and she said. Every month now, we order your product, and they they order a, a lot because there's about twelve of them, and we just love getting together in the kitchen. The product's so easy to use and so much fun, but then we get this beautiful time to spend together, and I think that's here to stay. Um, I can't, I don't think we're going to lose that. So I think that is a positive from COVID. Yeah, and, and that suddenly takes your your business to a new level, I guess, as well, where you before were contained within some some airline. And when when they were flying, now you can actually cater all week long, all year long, for Christmas or whatever. Uh, I, th- I think it's super interesting a move because actually, I think you said as well a bit uh, here when you were explaining your business that you know some of the restaurants that launched these really great, you know, uh, doing at home cook were actually needed maybe a little bit of skill to do it because. There was still, you know, you still need to how to cook a good steak or whatever it is you get home. You need to have a bit of understanding of food. Uh, and now pulling that back because probably many reasons, focusing on your your the one thing you do well, but also the reality of staff and other other challenge around getting the business back up again and open the door to a restaurant. Um, uh, I guess that that market's going to be defined very different than it was under the pandemic. Yeah, I think the other, I suppose the other important aspect of this is that when you talk about, so the product and how it works um, is a private jet is the harshest environment to eat food on. Okay, it's lovely, you're on a private jet, but for the flight attendant and the space and the dryness and the pressurization, 
it is a it is a really really challenging environment i, mean, I used to find working on yachts difficult but you're talking about a space not much bigger than the top of a filing cabinet maybe two next to each other a tiny little oven a tiny little microwave and she's got 12 guests in the back expecting top level three courses this is where we have excelled in business aviation and what makes us one of the the innovators of our world with regards to food is because every we designed this system and we looked at we looked at the umami content we looked at the salt content we looked at how the sound and the noise on board an aircraft affects how you eat we then looked at this i then designed all this system as it's a paint by numbers system that the flight attendant every so imagine you've got a main course and there are seven moves or six or seven components each one of those components is cooked within our kitchen using a lot of modern techniques like sous vide and things like that but it allows her to put that meal in in her oven or his oven and cook it for five minutes and when she takes it out he takes it out everything is cooked to the exact point that it should be served so the steak and the techniques that we've devised around steaks which are quite closely guarded secrets but they just put it on a plate exactly to the photo instruction and then it's all served together those systems and designing something that's in such a challenging environment on a on an aircraft transferring that over to the home was an easy was an easy move um and it made the product quite good fun in a home environment because you're not under the same amount of pressure. That was really interesting because I think actually uh, consistency and quality have been one of the biggest challenges with you know recipe boxes or eat at home boxes or whatever people are called them. So and actually because you've been able to before actually to have a flight attendant if it's uh, Jane one week or James the other week. They, it doesn't matter because the system is actually lifting them up. And I know that from my time in McDonald's, the system always win. It always pushes uh, the weakest link up in a way, no matter what happens. Uh, so that's super interesting. But one of the other other things that was in that question, I was thinking about the opportunity within in that market uh, because, as you said, it, it's gone from crazy amounts now to maybe leveled out a bit because of the excitement of coming back out into the real world and eating in restaurants. But do you see this as a, a massive opportunity market as we go forward for uh, the food industry, like an untapped market still? Oh, I think it's here to stay, right? Um, I think people have been, people have, the world has changed. You know, COVID has created a, a I think look, there's always opportunity in chaos and it's going to be really difficult for the hospitality market for for some time but it's it's also created incredible opportunities and new ways of doing things and as a business you've got to if you can if you can see what's coming and and make the best guess you can i think there's some really exciting opportunities that are coming and it is here to stay i i think one of the one of the places that i i, I visit quite a lot from a business perspective but is dubai Dubai have been doing home delivery since for the 10 years I've been flying there. Um, and I, I believe they're even going to start doing it by drone. Um, but it, I think everybody else has now come on board. I mean, we've all gone Amazon and we've all gone through the supermarkets. And now, now it's kind of, well, I want a dinner party delivered. We started plugging in chefs as soon as we were allowed. And that's become a popular service. So they just, they go on board, they order the product and a chef, which we've got a big, pool of chefs around the country turn up at the same time as the product and serve the meal. I think dining in your own home is here to stay. Entertaining is going to come back. I think um, for whatever reason, whether they're worried to be out or whatever, I just, I think, um, I think it is here to stay. And I think there are some, there are some very exciting opportunities for business who can, businesses who can tap into that. Yeah, because that, that that's interesting again, because it comes back, I think, what you said as well, being able to sit around the, the, the table and break bread. I have heard many people talk about that. When you go into a restaurant, it always become time focused at some point. But here you could sit for however long time you and you actually value these relationship again uh, in, in a much higher level than you did before. You actually take the time for that because, you know, they are not given suddenly because what uh, Mother Nature just thrown on us. So I think you're, you're spot on there. 
what what is your uh daniel uh, because i know you had had some massive life and leadership lessons in 2020 could you share that a bit with the audience what, what you went through as a, a business owner uh, there's nothing that has been easy and we are we are not on the other side yet but what has like been your your top three life and leadership lessons in 2020 wow i mean i think it's on reflection it's looking at what i am capable of when life gets tough um it has been it has been really really challenging i think um when i think looking at a lot of people and a lot of people i know in business you you when people are pushed into a corner it's amazing what can be achieved and I think there's a lot of when you look at some of the success stories and some of the complete turnarounds that businesses have made or gone off in a new direction, I think that has been very interesting and 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 quite exciting. I think one of the big lessons that I learned was um, I learned what burnout was. Um, I you know I think entrepreneurs. We we and this is a this is a big Tony Robbins one is is that the uh, the we <laughs> stress is just another word for fear right <laughs> um, and there were a whole load of things that happened in my life all at the same time as COVID was hitting and my wife and children got stuck in Spain and I was back here and we'd moved out of our house and I couldn't stay and ended up sleeping in my office for three months and. I was supposed to be staying with my mum and it was supposed to turn into one week. And then, so oh, don't worry, mum, I'll just bring me a camp bed. I'll sleep in my office. I've got to focus on the business. Ended up turning into three months. <clears throat> However, I was, that meant from morning, from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed for three months straight. And this was probably about the middle of March, I think. I was absolutely focused on the business. I also had my spinning bike and Kind of a bit of a gym built in the corner of my office and so i was working out and working at 100 miles an hour under a huge amount of stress and i got to i i got through this period and we kind of started to get to the summer and there was a little bit of sign of kind of and all of a sudden in october i i, I hit a wall and I, I i physically couldn't find motivation to do things even though my mind wanted to run ahead and it was it was a very very strange feeling, and it wasn't until I spoke to a kind of nutritional fitness coach. He's like, "Dude, that's adrenal burnout." He said, "You you need to." I said, "What have you been doing?" And I explained to him the whole story. He says, "Let me get this right. You were putting your mind under immense pressure trying to run a business, and then at the same time you were working out every day." He said, "No wonder you burnt yourself out." That's it. So I went ahead and studied that, and I learned it. And I think one of the things that I've now learned from and i talked to a number of my business friends as well and we i think a lot of people will be feeling burnt out i think um i think you know mindfulness and uh, mental health is, is a big focus of mine now uh, with the people around me and i think because i hit that point which i you know i never thought that i, I would be you know hit burnout but um it took me quite a few months to get over it but it now makes me appreciate and look around all the individuals who work for me and check in with them. So there's lots of things I've tried to do within the business, within the realms of what we can afford, but things like I've give, said to everybody, you can have membership to Headspace. Company will pay for it for you. We set up a, uh, a line with the um, company we work with where people have got somebody on the end of the phone they want to talk to. Um, I'm you know, I'm really encouraging a company culture where everybody looks out for one another. Are you okay? So I think that's one of the big things that I'm taking from a managerial leadership point of view um, from the last year. And I and I think if every company does that, we'll we will all get through this together and and end up you know in a, in a great place maybe in 12 months time you know that, that was a great lesson uh daniel thank you for for, for sharing that and and very very uh, you know good you gave that example about because i think you're not the only one that was in that the first three months and there's probably still people where they're trying to f really find that balance that's impossible because the business needs you and you can't take the, the the foot off the pedal and it's such a you know if if you fall out you know 
then then there's no one else there you know so therefore you have to understand to you know try to balance that even though it's so easy said but so difficult to do uh uh pandemic or no pandemic uh, i think that's my own experience as well i think reading you've got to you've got and one of the big things that i say i tend to everybody all the time is as soon as i start this start to happen i started to read about the whys what the science behind it was, why your mind and why your adrenal glands and what corsodol is and what adrenaline is and all these kind of things. I mean, I'm type one diabetic as well. So I've been injecting myself four times a day since I was like six years old. I, I It's important for me to understand what my body is doing and how it affects my diabetes and my health and, and the rest of it. I, I, I tell everybody now is, is that you, you've got to understand it. The more you can read about a problem or learn about it the better you'll be able to help yourself and and the people around you you know going through the pandemic massive lessons there is um did you uh, in a way as a business person have your biggest lesson in the pandemic or have you had any any prior to that like really you know pivotal business lessons i i yeah i've failure is the best lesson right um i i, I think failure is like a stepping stone to a point that you want to get to but you and you just keep you, you got to keep you got to keep picking yourself up every time you every time you get knocked over um uh, yeah I, it's um uh, did i learn i learned a hell of a lot through the pandemic i learned what i could what i what i, what I could handle and really could really handle um but i've learned over the years i've you know failed at quite a few things and i think um i think i've learned to accept those failures as lessons absorb them sit back reflect on them and how i can move you know how i can use those within the business that i'm in now i, I suppose I suppose trust is one of those things i think trusting trusting the wrong people um without looking at the evidence aside Um, I, I, I like to trust my gut as well. And I, I certainly don't want to be, I don't want to be negative where I just don't trust anybody. But I think, you know, if, if, if you're making a big decision and you want to talk to all the people around you, make sure that you are as well informed in making that decision as well, whether that is legal or from an HR perspective, you know, we've hit a few, I've had a few challenges that from a, from a legal perspective, I, I bought out another company. Um, I, there were mistakes there because, you know, I trusted what the solicitors were saying. We've got, you know, we had some HR issues and I trusted what the, you know, the HR company we were working with and their lawyers. And in, in hindsight, after the problems that occurred, I then had to sit back and learn myself what what it is that made those problems happen. And, you know, I should have done that beforehand. And that, I suppose, is a big is a big lesson. You know, a lot of failures have come around trusting verbatim what people have said without doing the prior homework or trying to understand the complex process myself. Um, that's a that's a big one, I think. Yeah, and that's a really good one because exactly what I've you know heard and learned as well is the your ability to ask the right questions, I guess as well, and you can't do that with not having some some basic knowledge. And you know, it's okay to trust people, but I think I learned in a very early age from one of my really good mentors that find out how you can keep your skeptical part of your business sense in, in in a balance so you don't lose trust for them but actually you they can see you know what you're doing which actually make them play a better game that was his, his advice at that point as well so i think you're you're absolutely spot on with that so you already mentioned you know you spend a lot of time in in hospitality you came out of hospitality before you went into the airline industry and uh, before you started serving a cook at home meals um What about hospitality? What is the future looking like? Let's say the next 12 to 18 months, if we have a crystal ball, it looks incredibly difficult if you took it from a, a news headline point of view. It is, it is, but I, I'm, I'm a, you know, glass half full kind of person. I think in chaos is always huge opportunity. It's going to be really tough, right? 
you if you're not agile and you can't move quickly your business is going to die and i and i, and I don't want to sound really morbid about it but you've got to move quickly now but i also think you've you've, you've got to get excited around turbulence it's it's kind of okay well this is going to happen and it's here how can i change how can i develop what can i do new and asking yourselves those questions we've all just we've all just had 18 months of agility training and learning how to pivot our businesses you've got to grab onto that now and say okay where is the world going i think some of the the biggest cha- chefs right we, we're all having problems finding chefs any any restaurant that says they've got a full brigade of chefs is, is like um or hospitality part chefs is going to be difficult well okay how do we how do we change our operation which is what we're doing now around okay we have our team of chefs let's build our people around our chefs so our chefs can carry on what we're doing i've been watching the olympics right wow it's just it's such a an amazing event and you you watch these cyclists and swimmers and all the rest of it. every time those guys get on the stage the first thing they say when they get their medals is i've got to thank the managers i've got to thank the bike techs i've got to thank my physios you've got to build teams around the people who are kind of your 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 your, your athletes or your medal stars right so i think that's one of the things companies are going to have to do is, is look at how to you know maneuver the chess pieces around what they're doing i think your the where big challenges are going to occur is your the work world balance the nine to five in the office in the city is gone i I don't believe it's ever going to come back i think there will be a hybrid version um i think people we're already seeing people move out past just the home counties and then they're doing two or three days in london um that is going to have a massive effect on the restaurants that rely on hospitality you know, rest the, the you know on the on the lunch and the evening and the bar services that are surrounded by the city. Well, okay, how what are you going to do about that? How are you going to change it? Um, is the event world going to change? Are we going to see big lavish dinner parties in you know in the museums and cocktail parties? I, I don't know. Maybe there are maybe people are looking at doing small intimate events all over the uk and how that's going to work um i I certainly don't have the answers it's just i think it's throwing up a lot of questions at the moment and businesses need to embrace that and if they don't embrace that and they don't embrace the change i think i think we're going to see quite a lot fall by the wayside which would be a shame um but like like i said you've got to move it's a it's all about agility now do you think that uh, we're going to have more or less restaurants in a year's time less um however however i think your pop-up restaurants your your what are they called the box pop-up box they're in sea containers i can't remember the name of it um these pop-up restaurants street food street food vending locations is going to be where it is anybody who got in that two years ago Well, won't have done well during COVID, but now it's going to come back. I think in force. People, people want a destination to go to, and they want the experience of street food, right? They want to be able to walk in somewhere and pick and choose what they're going to eat. I think people are going to be a lot more choosy about when and where they go to a restaurant. I think a lot of the, I hate to say it, kind of beige middle of the road restaurants that you just went to for the sake of going out and dining i think will be part of the ones that are going to end up by the wayside um i think restaurants that you walk in and there's no menu and you sit down and you you know you just get a menu in front of you they're going to people will be a lot more choosy about where they go and so what will come off the back of that That's my big question at the moment. What cool part of new, amazing hospitality businesses are going to come off the back of people having more choice and going out less, but being more choosy on where they're going? And it isn't going to come down to going and splashing out loads of money on expensive wines and sushi. It's going to be more about the experience they want to have with their friends and their family, if that makes sense. It may make totally sense um, because uh, we were on holiday here for uh 
last week and uh, the week before. And one of the places we stopped with was some family in Southport, and they suddenly had the street food uh, venue in the middle of this town. I didn't believe it because it was Southport, normally some few chain restaurants and some independent restaurants. And that was the place that was heaving. That was the center of the, the city suddenly. They're taking this old market and turn it into, you know, like a pop-up place. Uh, and it had all these different offerings in there from Brazil to uh, Northern Europe cuisine. And I, uh, it was like that thing was alive again because it, it was still a big enough place to people to feel safe, I guess. And um, there was the, the choice for what they wanted. It was about the experience and the atmosphere that was created in that hall which no one else in Southport could do. And Southport is a small town north from Liverpool if uh, people haven't been there, uh, which is normally a very a, a dying seaside town uh, normally. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think you're spot on with that. And we've seen that here in Brighton, where I am as well, uh, that uh, street food is popping up uh, everywhere. People like to... I mean, I, 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 I spend a lot of time in Asia and traveling around Asia. And you, you, it's, that, it's that thing of going to a street vendor who does one thing and you know that they have mastered that art for the last 20 years on that particular thing. And that's why you're going to go there. If you can create a cool venue where you have one place that does margaritas, one place that doesn't a certain type of Vietnamese noodle, another type of place that does the most amazing chicken burger, that, 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 that's, that's cool eating, right? That's my, that's my vision. <laughs> But also that gives sense if you take it back to, you know, great business practice is also called, you know, often do one thing well and uh, and uh, continue practice and become better at that. As you just said, this is what we do and we don't go out and do 20 other things. Uh, Medicare, we, we do it really, really great every time and we become better every day. One percent like an athlete at Olympics, as you, you mentioned earlier. So. There's a great book that I've read. I think it's one of the all-time greatest marketing books. It's in my top three books. It's called Crossing the Chasm. And the author escapes my name, but the, you, a, a lot of people will know this book. Um, you're, he talks about finding your beachhead. Attack it. Dominate it. Don't try and be lots of other things, lots of things to lots of people. And be the master of that niche. And these box parks or in these areas where you can go in it that that that's street food and if you and i think uh, people appreciate that level of you know the master in that one particular thing so and that that's a great book to read about how to do that and how to put that into your business so we'll put that in the the show notes i made a, bit, a little note here so definitely we will share that with, with people out there and that's a great book i can confirm as well um and and moving uh, a bit on into to uh, the future of hospitality because there's one thing now and we talked a bit about it uh, before we started recording as well the uh, you know everybody talks about this the staffing crisis you know and you mentioned chefs before as well what is that going to do to the industry because it feels like it's now really starting to have an impact on you know operation hours quality of food uh you know exhausted teams uh what is your view on this i think this is gonna this is this is the single biz, biggest critical problem to hospitality um i don't have the reasons why um you know, lots of people can blame it on things like um brexit and training and it's a it, people don't want to do 70 80 hours trying to train to be a top chef i don't have the answers on this i think i think um i think we've got to look at the younger generation and really focus on their training unfortunately we do have a younger generation that wants to learn a skill and they want to be able to watch it 20 second youtube video and now i know it and now i've got it but the hospital it doesn't it's not just hospitality you're looking at any kind of um anybody who does you know car manufacturing at the high end it's these skill these these skills that take years and years and years to learn in a world and a younger generation that likes to move at an instant speed how do you how do you cross that chasm how do you 
engage those people in. One of the things that somebody said to me recently is a reason, part of the reason we've got this chefing problem is because this chef's shortage is because a lot of chefs have been sitting at home, not doing a lot, on furlough and bored. Chefs don't like to be bored, let's face it. you know, No chef likes to be sitting around. It's just not in their genes. Well, they're like, well, okay, I'm going to teach myself something. And they've gone online and they've t- taught themselves how to program communicate Uh, computer games or there's been more limited companies registered in the last 18 months i think than was in the four years previously or it's the 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 most limited companies people have gone all entrepreneurial and the chef mindset and the type of people that are chefs they're, they're very entrepreneurial right so they've these chefs have found themselves little businesses or they've trained themselves to be a computer programmer and it's like well hang on a minute you want me to I've got my own little business going here and I've got my, I'm, you know, I'm doing nine, I'm doing eight hours a day, whatever time I want to do. And oh, I don't have to work late and I can see all my family at the weekend. Oh uh, yeah. Maybe I don't want to be a chef anymore. And that was an, in- someone said that to me recently, this kind of, actually, that's a good point. Um, how do we make being a chef rock and roll and attractive? And I think that comes down to the individuals running the kitchen I, you know, I've always been a big fan of Jamie Oliver because of 15. Um, You know, he make, he was one of the, you know, he makes food simple. Um, But that kind of, how do you, the people who've created environments within their kitchen, I think have always, you know, they've got their kitchens that will last. I think we've got to create a training development program. But when you're short-staffed, like we are at the moment, even the idea of having to take two chefs aside, you know, for half a day, a day, two days every week, and I, well, I haven't got, I haven't got any people to fill that hole. It's a, it's going to be a real difficult challenge. How do we do this? And I think some of the best minds in hospitality have got to get together and actually share stories and put the competitiveness on one side for one second. Because if we don't solve this problem, the entire hospitality industry is going to is going to be really difficult. And London is now one of the food capitals of the world. If we don't solve this problem, we will very quickly, you know, lose. I've seen some restaurant reviews recently of top places that you know they're they're struggling. Um, so yeah, that's my. It's probably a longer answer than you wanted, but <laughs> no. But I think it's a really good one. You you're actually saying it's it's so complex that it's not that's not like a one reason but it's also not one solution we all have to you know learn from each other but also find our own roots in in this and actually find out what works for our businesses uh, as well so i think i think it's a because uh, i think it's a it is probably the biggest challenge in decades if it's not ever to be uh, ever ever been there so so how do you actually you know uh, show up pro every day and all because you know you just said yourself that went through the pandemic, lots of life lessons there and leadership lessons about not burning yourself out. Um, how do you show up strong or pro every day, as I call it? Get into Tony Robbins. <laughs> buy, buy yourself a trampoline for your office. Um, what else? How do I turn Affirmations. I've learned mindfulness. I've learned actually just doing a little bit of fitness every day. You know, keeps you, keeps you strong and focused and going forward. Um, I um so one of the things that I learned from a from a kind of deeper keep yourself positive and go out there and one of the things I took from one of the Sony Tony Robbins seminars that I did was um you got to find your super villain to be a superhero to be a superhero you have to have a super villain right so you got to look back through your life and find something that is something that motivates you to be and wake up every day and be, you know, a game, you know, as many days as you possibly can, because we're not always a, 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 a game every day, but that motivates you to go forward. Um, for me, that was type one diabetic, um, you know, teachers telling me because of, you know, I'm a bit on the ADD spectrum that you can't do this and you can't do that. I learned that those were the things that inspired me to go on and do bigger things. So you've got to find that super villain, that joker or that kryptonite that 
makes you go out and be a superhero. I think the best example at the moment is watch the Paralympics. Oh my God, you know, the, you can, you, you know, these individuals have taken their super villain and literally turned themselves into superheroes, like bionic men and women. And it just, it's just incredible, you know? And um, I think that's part of the thing where it, I, I, I know I'm a, I'm a big fan of positive mindset, uh, positive energy, get yourself a little mini trampoline for the office. Cause I tell you what, five minutes jumping up and down on the trampoline, get, it, it, there's a, there's a, there's a reason kids love it. You're buzzing with energy afterwards. Your staff will think you've completely lost the plot, but who cares? Um, you know, that, that kind of thing. <laughs> I, I, I would totally say the, uh, you know, sign up to Tony Robbins if you haven't already done it. Uh, take what you can, uh, take what you want to to learn from him, put into your life, uh, and then get the trampoline. It's it's just one of that's the one of the biggest takeaway I took from my first Tony Robbins thing, and I thought this is ridiculous. He's not standing on a trampoline in the back before he goes in. And then when I came home, I thought, well, I think I can't remember what it was. It's fifty pounds or whatever it was, forty pounds that. Well, at least I can give it to the kids, but the kids are not allowed to touch my trampoline because <laughs> it's mine. It's my temple, you know. So it, it's so interesting. You said the same there. Yeah, and it's like I just remember walking into this room with about uh, one of the seminars I went on, and we were there for like eight days. And I walked in, and it's like forty trampolines laid out, and people are just bouncing up and down at eight o'clock in the morning. I'm thinking, what the? Where am I? With it by the end of the day. And for the rest of the eight days, you're on that trampoline as much as you can do it. And so it's a, it's a, it's a strange thing, but it's a, it does make you feel good. <laughs> it, it's a, it's a super hack, I would say. Um, <laughs> so, so the, the sales on trampolines going to go crazy after this. Um, uh, one of the other thing I wanted to ask you about, because we're, I guess on your journey as well, you mentioned Tony Robbins is one of your inspiration, but like who, which, which people actually on your journey have influenced you and, and shaped you to become the person you are today? I mean, it might be a bit cliche, but I suppose the people closest to me, um, my wife, number one, um, she is a fiery, um, Latin lady, Spanish blood, hot blooded. And she's, all five foot two of her, you know, got me, made me realize that I was actually capable of doing a lot more, gave me a good shake up, a couple of slaps and sets me on my way. And although we, you know, we don't always agree, she's heavily involved in, she's heavily involved in the decisions I make in the business. And, you know, we, we argue a lot, but we get, we thrash things out with regards to that. But she, she's the one who kind of gave me that, come on, man, you're capable of doing a hell of a lot and keeps that in check you know it keeps my ego and whatever in check i think my mom as a kid um was very can do you know she kept telling you know diabetic she got this diabetic kid at six years old who you know is being told that you, you you're going to be on dialysis and all the other rubbish they told you 40 years ago that you type one diabetes and my mom would constantly say to me you can do anything you can be anything and she ingrained that attitude and that positivity in me and then i think my other one is my dad. I mean, he had a, he built his own business and he had a mega strong work ethic and you do it right. You know, you do it right. You roll your sleeves up. Sometimes you've got to get down and dirty to make things happen, but there's a right way and there's a wrong way. And, you know, I think that, that, I think those three people, um, I have other people who've influenced me over my life, but, I think those are the biggest things that have shaped me as an individual, as a business person, and that continue to do so. That, 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 that was super, super interesting, even though you say it's maybe, uh, it's, it's the classic you say, but actually you've made it very clear why they've done that. And I think it's absolutely great, you know, hearing that, you know, the whole entrepreneurial spark you, comes actually from, from family, not just something you started yourself. Um, what, what, uh, the last question I always ask people, what, what is your, like, you know, what would be your, you already given a lot of advice, but what would be like your, your top three advice to leaders out there, um, running their businesses right now and their teams? I had to, when you sent me the questions, this was one of the things that I had to put a lot of thought into because there was just so much, right. And 
I, there, are, there are three big books that I often tell people, and off the back of that is some of these things. Is The one is Crossing the Chasm that I've told you about. Another one is a book called The E-Myth. Now, you've mentioned McDonald's. The E-Myth, Richard E. Gerber, is the foundation of how I built and will build every business. It's the understanding of the entrepreneurial myth and the systemization that if you implement that in a business, you can continue to replicate it. Fabulous. And the other one is The Art of War by Sun Tzu. There's another book out there called Sun Tzu and the Art of Business and taking the ancient principles and put them as business. I love those things. But um, the bits of advice, I suppose, um, people and friends, um, I, I think your people come before your customers. Um, your your customers obviously very close second, but the people who work for you, the people who engage with you, um, should need to come first. You can't build anything without amazing people. And I remember when I had when I the first restaurant I ever worked in in Scots. I was very young at the time, and it was probably about ninety seven, ninety six, and I was a young teenager. And I remember the chef in there. He there was he he had a go at one of the chefs for being mean to the kitchen porter, and he came up to me afterwards and he gave me a wink. He said, "You watch what happens when that kitchen porter doesn't turn up one day." Sure enough, a couple of weeks later, he didn't. Whole kitchen collapsed. I think you've got to understand that everybody is important. From and I drill this into everybody: is the person who cleans the floor and organises the boxes is just as important as the management team who are sitting at the top. Um, I think attitude is everything with the people that you've got. So you know and losing negative people you know energy vampires as i call them um so surround yourself with positive powerful people um so that's my first thing as people and friends um find your beachhead attack it and dominate it don't try and be lots of things to lots of people and be the master of your niche you know i think we're we're all guilty every entrepreneur is guilty of trying to do so many different things and the shotgun effect but really you want to be a rifle. Um, and my last one is keep learning. Keep being humble, keep learning. Those of you have seen that that Steve Jobs speech where he's talking to that class where he, you know, we all knew he had cancer. We now know that he had cancer at the time and he's talking to them about, you know, learn, 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 watch, read, listen. And if you if you want to know how to do something or you're struggling to do it, find somebody who's, already done it and he's really good at it and just replicate it but i don't think you, you i you know, absorb as much information as, as as you possibly can from everywhere and be open to learning so they're my i suppose they're my three three things i think it was three <laughs> yeah I, I think it was four but that doesn't matter uh, <laughs> uh daniel because there were super great advice and I, I, uh, I, I could deep dive into, but I really like the one you said about, you know, learn and unlearning the ability to do that, because often we have success with something and we continue doing it in the same way. And I've seen that people move from business to business and they just take them a couple of moves before they find out, wow, what's wrong? It's not the business. It's actually me that went in with a free mindset about how to do things. and I didn't unlearn what I've had learned. And actually, because it's experience no matter what, it just means that you can do some things faster. But actually, you also have to understand every situation is different. Every human being you're meeting is different and have different strengths you need to play at. So, yeah, I really, really like uh, all of them. Great, great advice. Daniel, uh, I want to thank you so much for, for coming on the show. But before we, we leave, it would be great to know where, where can people find out more about you and the business? And if they want to connect with you, what is the best place to go? um you can you can find me on linkedin i'm on um we've got our websites for on air dining and one fine dine um yeah i mean i'm i'm on instagram i think uh linkedin is one of the ones that i am getting a little bit bombarded with lots of spam but that's uh that's a pretty good one and i i, I do want to thank you for inviting me on I'm, i feel quite humble because I've listened to a number of your podcasts now, and there are some serious hospitality legends on your on your series. So it's uh, it's really nice to be part of that list. 
Well, uh, Daniel, uh, you, you, you've done your 1% every day to be here. So you don't have to thank me. You, you've done all the, all the work. So, uh, so I, I'm super grateful that you actually took time out of uh, your calendar to, to come and share this with, with the audience. And I'm sure there's people that's going to reach out and learn a lot from that. I, I want to send you and the team uh, all the power and energy you need and uh, keep on jumping on that trampoline. It will do you good, I promise you. And uh, I'm, I'm sure we will connect uh, very soon again and might there be an episode in the, in, 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 the, in the near future as well where we go back and visit what, what happens since since today. I look forward to it. It was really nice talking to you and it's, um, yeah, I feel energized now. Thank you so much, Daniel, for your great insights on how to systemize the business to achieve agility and great customer experience in the long run. I would now recommend you to sit down and ask yourself, how can I optimize my operating system to become more agile and achieve better customer experience in the long run? And to get further inspired on agility and innovation, please tune in to episode 94 with Elvin Turner, who is the author of Be Less Zombie. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share, rate and review or subscribe to one of our channels. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us in bringing great insights, strategies and tools to help the industry thrive, not just survive. Check them out at bizsimply.com or on the social at bizsimply or bizsimplyhq. You can also email them directly on advice at bizsimply.com. A massive thank you to Fina Charlton, who is the show producer and editor from the Podcast Collective. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, Find out more about us and subscribe to the newsletter and download free leadership tools at hospitalitymavericks.com. And don't worry, if you didn't get all of this, there will be links in the show notes. Thank you and be maverick.